the stars have once again aligned, and what an age-old cult had failed to do, a band of innocent authors has accomplished. After vigintillions of years, the flash fiction contest is loose again and ravening with delight. Each week, batches of stories will be released into gladiatorial pits to fight for supremacy. The floor will be churned to mud with the blood of the fallen until the mightiest stories remain for your delight and dread. The fourth incarnation of the Escape Artist's Flash Fiction Contest, as led by Pseudopod, is here. Submissions are closed, and the carnage begins. Visit forum.escapeartists.net and come participate in voting for stories. They're published on a members-only section of the forum, so you must be a forum member to participate. It's easy to become a member. Drop by forum.escapeartists.net, register, and join us. And may the most horrific win. Podcastle, episode 387, for October 27th, 2015. The Half-Dark Promise, by Malin Edwards. Rated R contains violence. Trick or treat. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle, the fantasy fiction podcast. I'm your host and co-editor Graham Dunlop. No, 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 that's not right. Graham told me not to read the script too closely. Hey, at least I didn't try that Australian accent. Hey everyone, this is Dave Thompson. It's good to be back with you for this very special episode for Halloween, The Half-Dark Promise. You are in for a treat, my friends, not a trick. This week we have a story that hits a lot of things I seem to dig in fiction these days. A haunted story of friendship and loneliness. And it's an excellent way to spend some time listening at the end of October as Halloween rolls around and the clever Jacks smile, their bright, hellish smiles sitting in our doorsteps, colluding against humanity. Mainly, I suspect they're colluding because they're forced to sit on their little orange asses and watch children take home all the candy. Nobody ever shares with the jack-o'-lantern, no matter how happy or terrifying those jacks look. And that, my friends, is why pumpkin beer tastes the way it does. Sad, isn't it? Podcastle is very proud to present The Half-Dark Promise by Malin Edwards, originally published in Shimmer Magazine, January 6, 2015. Malin Edwards was born and raised on the south side of Chicago, but now lives in the greater Toronto area, where he was lured by his beautiful Canadian wife. Many of his short stories are set in an alternate Chicago and feature people of color and Haitian Creole. Malin does not speak Haitian Creole. Currently, he serves as Managing Director and Grants Administrator for the Speculative Literature Foundation, which provides a number of grants for writers of speculative literature. You can visit him online at malinedwards.com. 
Your narrator is Mandali Louise Charles. She's been running the Haitian Creole blog for five years and is now an advocate for the Creole language. The blog promotes the Haitian Creole language to foreigners and natives. The address is sweetcoconuts.blogspot.com with a Twitter page, at Creole Lingo, that publishes daily Haitian Creole words and terms for natives and foreigners. She just completed a project creating the first ever Creole alphabet song and animated video for the Creole language, as the alphabet is unknown to most Haitians at this time. This successful project was done in collaboration with MIT linguistic professor Michael DeGraff. We'll link to that song in our show notes. So, wind up that old clockwork heart. It's all Hallow's Eve. Time to go for a stroll out on the gaslight in the half-dark, my friends. It's very, very possible we might not all make it back. Enjoy the story. The Half-Dog Promise by Malon Edwards Something moves in the half-dark, two gas lamps ahead of me. I hold fast at the edge of a small circle of gaslight cast down from the street lamp above me. I don't breathe. I don't move. I just hold my breath so long that I get lightheaded as I try to drop eaves hard into the half-dark around the gas lamps ahead. But all I hear is my steam clock hard going, Taminga, 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 in my chest. As my breathing slows, I peer into the half-dark. My eyes search right and left and up and down. I can't help but think about Bobby Brightsmith, about his little sister and his little brother. I can't help but wonder if I'm about to join them, wherever they are. Something moves again. I press my hands tight over my mouth. I try not to whimper too loud. I don't want whatever's out there to eat me. I'm out here all alone. I can barely hear the laughter and shouts from Timunyo on Yates Avenue, the next street over. Since Bobby went missing, Oli Cobbler and the other children won't walk home with me. They don't like me. They're scared of me. They give my harness the sad eye. They think Bobby disappearing is my fault. They think Mommy did some voodoo on him. At lunch recess, them fast covey four girls who sit in the back of my class tease me about it out on the schoolyard. They sing, Mikael Isabel, Mikael Isabel, don't get close or you will smell. Mikael Isabel, Mikael Isabel, here she comes, go run and tell. Mikael Isabel, Mikael Isabel, her mama cast them voodoo spells. Mikael Isabel, Mikael Isabel, take your Haitian tail to hell. Don't believe them. I smell sweet like honey. The half-dog thinks so too. The voices come at me from everywhere, from the low rooftops above my head and the cobblestones beneath my feet. Tell us, little girl, it whispers to me, do you taste just as sweet? Pie, sam de manger bao. I want to tell my feet, 
I want to run away like Bobby told me. I want to flee. I want to be gone from this place. Instead, maybe whatever speaks with those voices can't see me. I hope, maybe their night vision has been ruined by the gaslight. Then I realize that they live and prowl in the half-dark. Their eyes are used to it. That is, if they have eyes. The first thing Bobby Brightsmith told me when I moved to the south side of Chicago from La Petite Haiti with Mommy was to run like a scalded dog if I ever saw Zombila in the half-dark on the way home from school. See, when Bobby was eight years old, a little girl and a little boy were snatched from the half-dark not far from home. They were never seen again. Bobby said, because of that little girl and that little boy, Timunio in Chicago now walk home from school in groups in the half-dark just before nightfall. The half-dark comes fast this time of year. I was surprised on the first day of school when Bobby took my hand on our walk home. He was nervous. He flushed rose red down to his neck, but he didn't let go. He'd signed a half-dark promise, just like every other Timon in Chicago. Even a lovely called Segondeo, with their teenage swagger and their foul mouths, held hands on the walk home. Bobby's hands was sweaty, large, calloused, the hands of a smith's son. But I didn't mind. Vraiment vrai, truth be told, I was just pleased Bobby wasn't calling me names while speaking to me. That didn't happen at my old school. Actually, that didn't happen at my new school either. The second thing Bobby told me was if I'm ever bab-pubab, face-to-face, with something nasty in the half-dark, call it out and make it tell it like it is. He'd said, if I do it right, I'll take away its power and it will have to answer me with total honesty. Once it does, once it's under my control, I could even tell it to go jump in the lake if I want. Kunyea, I don't want to be face to face with it, but I do want to go home. I want to go home now. So I take a deep breath and say, My name is Kayel. Tell it, tell it. And I'm on the line. Tell it, tell it. But I'm not scared. Tell it, tell it. Because I'm so fine. Tell it, tell it. And you know what? What? And you know what? What? You can kiss my butt. Just so you know, that wasn't me answering. It was the half-dark. But just like Bobby says it will, the half-dark does its part and tells it like it is. We are the pogo. Tell it, tell it. And we are many. Tell it, tell it. We feast on girls. Tell it, tell it. Both strong and skinny. Tell it, tell it. And you know what? What? And you know what? What? We will eat your guts. For three 
ticks of my steam clock heart, the world goes quiet. I can't hear Timonyu on Yates Avenue anymore. Never before have I been this scared in all my life. Not even when Papa Mwen disappeared. But I feel my hope grow some. I can't help it. Bobby might not know what an equilateral triangle is or how to do long division with remainders, but he knows how to throw down with the half-dark. And then I remember he's missing. Maybe he didn't tell it like it is. Maybe he got too scared. Or maybe he just never got the chance to tell off the half-dark. I won't miss my chance, though. I pull up my breeches, as Mommy says, lift my chin, and tell the half-dark, go jump in the lake. In response, the shadows breathe long and low. And then, nothing. For five whole minutes, 400 ticks of my steam clock heart, I stand in that circle of gaslight, très tranquille, nice and quiet. My forehead tightens. A soft sigh tickles the back of my neck. It's warm and damp. Something's out there in the half-dark. So I begin to create my sanctuary. First, I strip down to my leather chest harness bodice. I pull the skin from my face and my neck and my arms. I take my time. I want to remove the skin in one untorn sheet. It comes off wet. Ça fait mal. It hurts. A lot. continue aller. But I keep doing it. M'palage. I don't stop. M'presque fini. At heart tick 875, I'm almost done. When all the skin has been pulled off, I spread it open and I blow on it. It's brown with translucence. It catches my breath like a parachute. It dries with patience like butterfly wings. As it hardens, I shape it around me from head to foot. This is my chrysalis. Sabel, it's beautiful. The joy in its creation makes the world go slow. Timari pa monte, Timari pa desan. All is dead and silent. Until far off, I hear somebody's mama calling for them to come home. Pa mamamwe. But I wish it was my mama. Kunyea, right now, Mama Moe is making her rounds in back of the yards, tending the miners and their families. I don't know whose mama is yelling, but I do know she will never see her child again. Bobby told me no one escapes the half-dog without the chant. Not even him. One day on the walk home from school... I told Bobby the half-dog promise was silly. He just looked at me. His eyes were all big and wet. He was going to cry. I was sure of it. But instead, he said, You know that little girl and that little boy who went missing? That little girl was my sister. And that little boy was my brother. He said nothing else on the walk home that day. I wanted to brush his loose dark curls out of his eyes and kiss his tears before they fell, but I didn't. He wouldn't have wanted that, so I squeezed his sweaty hand instead. Bo, 
The half-dog tests my chrysalis. It tries to snatch a knot in my head or eat me, I'm not sure which. Either way, licampi femme. My chrysalis stands firm against its assault. Moi pas breeding come. I don't even flinch. Ata payanti kras. Not even a little bit. Tankuyon wash, licampi four. My chrysalis is as hard as a rock. And the half-dog knows it, so it tries a different tactic. The half-dog presses against all sides of my chrysalis, sending tentacles over its surface. I know what it's trying to do. It's looking for weak spots. I think it won't find any. But then, my chrysalis starts to shiver and creak. The tentacles, I stop counting at twenty, try to squish me all at once. Moi pape, but I'm not scared. Also, I tell myself, The half-dog chuffs or laughs. It sounds like stretched faces and eyeless sockets. Mtrepe, now I'm scared. In La Petite Haiti, Zamile Kolmoe, my classmates, called me the snake girl. At the slightest touch, my skin sloughs off as scaly as you please. My classmates threw rocks at me to make my skin fall off. They thought... If they held me down and pulled it off, they would catch my disease. It was Papa who told me I have epidermolysis bullosa, and he knew what he was talking about. Liteon doctor. Mommy is a doctor too, a pulmonologist. She only knows about respiratory diseases and polio. She developed the steam clock heart, like the one I have ticking in the socket of my chest harness right now, during the polio epidemic ten years ago. It was Papa who told me, Pranke, be strong, don't let a stupid sayo get to you. So, whenever my classmates threw rocks, I pulled my skin off, stretched it tight and then blew it dry, all while running from them in preparation for my chrysalis. Sometimes I did this two or three times a day, before school, during lunch recess, after school. Back then, my hands were grosso modo, clumsy, doucement, slow. Forming my chrysalis hurt, and I don't mean the three or four rocks that would split my forehead and cheek before I could finish. When I got home from school, I used to just stand in the foyer, my arms bent and hanging away from my sides. I'd stand that way for as long as I could completely still, because if I took one more step, or if the wet new skin on my arms touched the side of my chest harness, I would faint in pain. Now I'm très vite, so fast my hands blur when I make my chrysalis. I've learned to ignore the pain, I've learned to embrace it, but there's only so much pain a girl can take. Et pourtant, l'été ça. But the pain of my new skin was worth it. The rocks hurt more. They always hurt more. Papa made me feel better, though, once his last patient of the day left. He was gentle when he wrapped my new skin in gauze and tended my wounds in his office. As he did so, I would tell him how strong I had been at school that day, how I protected myself with my chrysalis, and he would kiss my Afro puffs and call me his butterfly girl. 
It was easy for me to be strong for Papa. I loved him so. I feel the first crack of my chrysalis dipped in my chest, the same way I feel the thum, thum, thum of the bass drums during the back-to-school Bud Billy Can Day parade. Tout bagay bien, but everything is fine. My chrysalis is still strong. At least, that's what I tell myself. Until now, my chrysalis had never been smashed or broken, not even by number one bully in Mob 3, Holy Cobbler. And he has a steam piston in his left arm. But the half-dog isn't Holy Cobbler. I hear the second crack, much louder this time, behind my left ear. Golden brown splinters of my chrysalis sting my cheek. Cold air rushes into me. Three tentacles push through the jagged break. The tentacles have suckers and beaks and mouths with tiny sharp teeth. I reach behind my head and slide Tonton Makut out of the sheath in my backpack. day, just three quick rising butterfly strikes, and the tentacles fall to the smooth floor of my chrysalis, coiling and flopping like snakes with their heads cut off. The pogo howls in surprise, not a howl like a luga who throws at the full moon, but a howl that says, you done just pissed me off. Tonton Makut does that sometimes. Papa tried not to make a big show of giving me Tonton Makut, but he couldn't help himself. I'd just gotten home from school. I hadn't needed to pull my skin off to make a chrysalis at all that day. So I was happy and even more pleased when Papa allowed me in his office after his last patient of the day. He sat me on his knee in that big leather chair I liked, placed the machete across my thighs, kissed my afro puffs, and told me, Tishushu, I give you this so you will always remember, and I will never forget. I was eight years old. Mommy was standing in the doorway, her last patient of the day had canceled. Papa had thought Mommy would still be in her office. Mommy, te fâché avec Papa. I'd never seen her that angry with him before. Pissed off doesn't even begin to describe the look on her face. But all Mommy said was, Papa is stupid, don't be a fool. And then she went back to her office on the other side of the house and stayed there all night. I just looked at Papa. I hadn't been sure if she'd been talking to him or me. Even today, I'm still not sure. There are too many tentacles. For a moment, I forget my training and just hack and slash and chop. I scream as I do this. It doesn't sound like my voice. And then, other screams join mine. Screams from the tentacles. The awful screams of children. They ask, why are you killing us? What did we do to you? We just want to go home. So do I, which is why I don't stop hacking them to bits. Tonto Makut wasn't new when Papa gave it to me. That handle was worn, and there were reddish-brown spots on the blade. Those spots could have been rust. Those spots could have been dried blood. I never asked. I wasn't too scared to ask. Mwete okipe. I'd just been busy. The day after Papa gave me Tonton Makut, 
and mommy gave him the side eye, he showed me how to use it. For two hours after school every day, he trained me with the machete. I learned to float swift rising butterfly strikes and drop vicious iron butterfly chops. I learned to flow with confidence into form of the monarch and faint papa out of his preacher boots with form of the viceroy. I even learned to unleash brutal savagery through form of Queen Alexandra's bird wing, like I am doing to the tentacles in the half-dark now. The children's screams have stopped, but I haven't. I don't realize that I'm crying through my rage until the pogo whispers to me in its many voices, Little girl, there's no need to cry. Do not worry. We shall gobble you up in just two bites. You will hardly feel a thing. Silly half-dark. I'm not crying because I'm afraid of the pogo. And I'm not crying because I'm afraid of being eaten. I'm crying because Bobby was my best friend. I'm crying because I'd never had a best friend before. I'm crying because I'll never have a best friend again. I'm crying because I'll never see Papa again. I'm crying because I know Papa is dead. I know he did some horrible things. Papa is stupid. I'm not a fool. But I don't tell the Pogo this. It doesn't need to know. All it needs to know is Tonton Makut. I can't remember my last moment with Papa. I can't remember where I was when Mommy told me he was missing. I can remember him widening my stance, dropping my elbow, bending my knees, lifting my chin, adjusting my overhand grip, and then one day he just wasn't there. I asked Mommy, She never answered me. So I hugged her and said, Pas crier, mommy, don't cry. But she couldn't stop. She's never stopped. More tentacles tear my chrysalis, my comfort, my leave-me-alone space from around me. I'm done with this. I'm tired of being bullied. I'm tired of being scared. Most of all, I'm tired of being tired, so I let the pogo know. Each time a tentacle slitters into my broken chrysalis to rip away another piece, I hack with Tontomakut. The tentacles scream again. Black blood splatters my face. It burns. Kimelim. I don't care. I lick it from my lips. Mwepape. I'm not scared anymore, so I hack on. But the tentacles keep coming out of the half-dark. As fast as I am in form of the malicious skipper, I just can't keep up. My chrysalis is soon gone. It doesn't take long. I know I should run. Bobby said so. Two more blocks and I'll be home. But I don't. Chunks of my chrysalis are at my feet. I'm exposed, unprotected, covered in blood and ache. Tired, mais pas tranquille, but not quiet. No, not quiet at all. M'pape, I yell, jabbing Tonton Makout. I'm not scared of you. Pas yon ti kras. 
not even a little bit. High above the gas lamps, where the half-dark is its darkest, something bends toward me. The memjak yonkai. It's as big as a house. It blots out the world. It puts its huge, diamond-shaped, scaly head with its small, squinched-up reptilian face smack dab in front of me. It smells of water rot. A mess of tentacles sticks every which way out of where its mouth should be. This is the pogo. The tentacles all have tiny mouths. The tentacles all have tiny teeth. The tentacles all wail in children's voices. But one voice is louder than the others. Bobby's voice. Run, he shouts to me. Go home now. I can't run from you, I whisper to him. And then I hack his tentacle off the pogo's face. The pogo flinches into the half-dark sky and chuckles deep. Tomorrow, out on the schoolyard, Timunyu will tell each other, Thunder is when the half-dark laughs after it has snatched a child. Bobby rests and twists in pain, scattering pieces of my chrysalis, making the cobblestones slick with black blood. His wails have turned into terrible screams, so I pick him up and wrap him around my middle. His screams stop. That's better now, isn't it? I ask him. In response, Bobby coils his bloody, clean-sliced end around my waist, slitters his tiny mouth full of tiny teeth up my chest, across my shoulder blades, into my neck, where he nestles just below my chin. My chest harness is smeared with a trail of red. I wrap my arms around myself, pressing Bobby tighter against me. This is the first time we've hugged. He's warm and soft. I like how he feels. Now I can run. Now I can go home. I probably won't make it, though. The pogo still blots out the world. Kimelim. I don't care. I found Bobby. But I run anyway, and I don't look up. And welcome back. Did anybody else hear that line? There are too many tentacles? And shout out, blasphemy! Oh. I love tentacles. And I love this story is centered around a friendship and about a friendship that's been lost. And that not fear, not monsters, not the dark is worth crying about, but friendship and love lost, that is worth tears. That's what matters. So, raise a glass of pumpkin ale to your friends. The ones here and the ones gone. The ones you still talk to and the ones you're missing. I'll be raising something distinctively not pumpkin ale. A nice cider, perhaps? And drinking to finding and embracing my friends. While I'm drinking, let's do feedback. This week is for episode 377, Mario Milosevic's Ray, narrated to perfection by Joe Scalora. This was the story about a group of outsider carnies who had traveled with a ghost they named in honor of Ray Bradbury. 
Generally speaking, it seemed like people enjoyed it. Electric Paladin said, All through the story, I couldn't shake the very Bradbarian idea that Ray wasn't the ghost of a person. Ray was the ghost of a time. The ghost of youth. The ghost of that careless, reckless, lovely summer of your youth. That's why Ray was so dangerous. No one makes good choices in that time of their lives, but also why it was powerful. I liked this one overall. I thought it captured Bradbury's feel, while still being very much its own thing. Hmm. I do like that interpretation. Thank you, Electric Paladin. And several other people dropped by to say how much this story put them in mind of Bradbury's work, which I'd say is always a win. Come on and get in on the conversation at forum.escapeartist.net. Let us know what you thought of this week's story. And if you like what we're doing here at Podcastle, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. You can sign up to subscribe for as little as $2 a month or make one single contribution. Anything you can do to help us keep on rolling, keep on paying our authors, is much appreciated. Thank you. Well, that was our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at PodCastle, I want to thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. And a very special thanks to Graham and Rachel for asking me to come back for this episode. It was a lot of fun. For PodCastle, I am, and will always be, Dave Thompson. PodCastle will be back in one week, breaking out of the gaslit October country into November. Be there for the journey. Bring a machete. We'll see you on the street. Our closing quote today is from R.J. Palacio, who wrote, I wish every day could be Halloween. We could all wear masks all the time. Then we could walk around and get to know each other before we got to see what we look like under the masks. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.